0: Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. I wonder... If you have a favorite author, is there a particular author who you really enjoy reading their books? I know I have a few. But there's something that is so incredible about an author, a really gifted author who writes really good books, that they create worlds, they create settings, they create characters, they create storylines, they create all of these realities. And then they are inviting you to come into that reality, to experience it as they develop these storylines. Now, many times authors, because they're so connected with their stories are so connected with their characters are so connected with the plot lines, they will actually end up writing themselves into their stories. I know for me, my favorite author is C.S. Lewis. And he does this in his Space Trilogy, Paralandria. He writes himself in the second book in as a character so that he can engage with the characters, so he can be part of the story. Uh, And many authors have done this, whether by name or or not. And this is not unique to authors of books. There are many filmmakers who do this as well. Uh, A famous one is Alfred Hitchcock who would have a cameo in his movies. He would appear sometime. But there are many filmmakers who do this, where at some point during the film, they will either be a character or they will kind of show up in a scene with a cameo. And in many ways, you could say that this author or producer, director, coming into their own story is reflected in what God, the author of life, does in coming into his story. And he does this not through pen and ink, but he does this through flesh and blood. And we find this in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word, who John says, in the beginning was with God and was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, when the word of God, God became flesh and entered into his story, he did not have a minor role. He did not have simply a cameo appearance. But the word made flesh, Jesus, the son of God become man, was the central character To the story. And what we find is all of the characters and all of the settings and all of the storylines all converge in him. Everything is pointing to him and everything is fulfilled in him. And this is not simply true for the Hebrew scriptures or looking back at the time before the coming of Jesus. This is true for all of us here today and all of our lives and all of our stories and all of the experiences that we have had. In many ways, we must recognize the tendency that we all have to reframe Jesus around our story. And this has been the emphasis of this sermon series, reframing Jesus, uh, that, that tendency that we have to reframe Jesus into our story and our experiences and our agendas and our ways of seeing the world. And instead, uh, by the way, I want to stop right there, uh, because this reframing Jesus, this is where this whole design comes from. And I want to thank Lisa Gammon, uh, who's here, for painting all of these. She, she did me to do this, I know. Uh, But painting all of these frames and and Pastor Devin and and Kim uh, as well for putting all of this design together. But I wanted to acknowledge Lisa and just thank her for her work in that. But the point of the frames, right, hopefully you've seen, is this reframing Jesus. Because what we need to do is not reframe Jesus around our story, but to reframe our story around Jesus. And to reframe our story not simply around The Jesus that's a portrait that we have painted of him. Or or maybe a portrait someone else has painted and handed to us. But Jesus as he truly is. And that is what John's account of the gospel is setting out to do. John is painting an accurate picture, an accurate portrait of Jesus. And in many ways, multiple portraits that help us understand who Jesus is truly is. And that's the hope of this sermon series that as a result of our time in John and, and as we're going through uh, this season leading up to Easter, we're encouraging our our individuals to read through the Gospel of John as well. But all of this focus on the Gospel of John is is hopefully to accomplish the same purpose for which John says he wrote this gospel. John 20:31 he says, "But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, as we consider our text this morning, we're going to see first that Jesus reframes John the Baptist's story. Now, we know John the Baptist if we have read uh, the New Testament gospel accounts, because John, in each of these accounts, is the individual who introduces Jesus. He has a significant role, and yet we don't have the historical perspective of how significant John was uh, in his day. Uh, the historian uh, Flavius Josephus tells us that John was far more prominent and far more significant of a character than Jesus. In the Jewish world, he was a, a really big deal He was very uh, important and a lot of people came and followed him. A lot of people knew his teachings and uh, we see that he had this massive movement of preaching a message of repentance of sins. And what did he call people to do? To be baptized, right? To come out to the Jordan River, to be baptized as this this expression of turning away from sin and turning back to God in a real and personal way. Way. And because of this, he had all of these disciples that were coming to follow him, uh, that were looking to him as, as a rabbi. Jesus even says that he is the most uh, significant prophet. There's no one greater right, than John the Baptist. And that's where we need to consider how significant it was that disciples of John the Baptist, as we know him, would leave him and go and follow this very unknown small town guy named Jesus. It would be like star players for the University of Alabama leaving Nick Saban to go play for Vanderbilt. It just wouldn't make sense. And there is a way in which that is the context during the life of Jesus. And and we see in verse 37 that that is exactly what happens Is that these disciples, and some scholars believe that John, the author of this gospel account, was one of the two who leave John the Baptist to go and follow Jesus. Now, why do they do this? Why do they leave John and go to follow Jesus? Well, the reason is because John himself uh, invites them to. John himself bears witness to the greatness of Jesus when he says, Look or behold, depending on your translation. The Lamb of God, other, trans, other uh, passages add who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God was a very prominent role throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And there are different expressions of the Lamb and the way that that played into what God did with Israel. But all of them were substitutes in some way. Every time we see a lamb featured prominently, it is a a lamb that is provided by God as a substitute for a son, or with the example of the Passover, for all of the firstborn sons of the people of Israel. And so God provides a lamb as a substitute for his people, and and there is the sacrificial element that's tied to that. And so, there is all of this that's being carried over, but but John is identifying Jesus as one who is greater than he. As he'll say elsewhere, that he wasn't even worthy of, of untying the strap of his sandal. And this is what John tells us to go back to our first passage, John chapter 1 verse 8. We read that he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. He was not the light himself. He did not Contain the fullness of the light of God within him, but he came to testify what? About the light, to point to the light who was Jesus. And the purpose of his entire life, his entire ministry was to lead others to see Jesus as the light. Secondly, Jesus reframes the disciples' story. So these two disciples who were followers of John the Baptist, come to Jesus based on the words of John, and they say what, and Jesus says to them, what are you looking for? And I love that these are the first words of Jesus that are uh, given in John's account, uh, because these are the words of any parent of young children. You know, basically, what do you want, (laughs) right? I know that for me as a parent, I say these words regularly. What do you want? You know, your kids come to you and kind of pester you for all kinds of things. What do you want? And this is basically what Jesus is asking these followers of John who are coming after him. And and the reason why these words are important, what do you want? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? Is because throughout the account that John is going to give us, there are going to be many people who are going to come and want to follow Jesus, but they don't actually want Jesus. They're going to come to get something from Jesus one way or another. They want Jesus to, to give them bread, or they want Jesus to somehow give them this, this political victory, or they want prominence because of their association with them. And, and there's many people who Jesus, in essence, is going to turn away to to not bring them into his group of disciples because he knows their hearts. He knows that they don't really want Jesus. They want something from Jesus. But what Jesus says in reply to come and see where he is staying is basically Jesus telling these two men that they are invited to come and, and be his disciples. That they are invited to come and follow him. And we read, So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Now this word staying, or stay, is used repeatedly throughout this section. And it's going to be used repeatedly throughout the gospel according to John. And the Greek word is minnow. And it is not referring to a small fish the word actually means to remain or to abide. That's the way it's going to be translated. And we are going to see this word used over and over throughout John's account of the gospel. One of the most prominent examples is John chapter 15 verse 4. Where Jesus says remain or abide minnow in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself. Unless it remains on the vine. So we think of that imagery of a vine, a grape vine or, or any kind of a vine, having branches that extend from it and fruit grows on those branches, but they are connected to the vine. They are remaining in the vine and that life source is coming from the vine to them, enabling them to have fruit. In the same way, neither can you unless you remain or abide in me. And, and this is where we need to see the emphasis that John's gospel is giving to being with Jesus. And this is something, as I've been reading through the gospel of John, that God has done in my heart. He's, he's really shown me the importance of, of coming to Jesus for Jesus and wanting to be with Jesus. Because it is so easy. I am a philosophical person, and I love studying, and I love doctrine and all of these things and it is so easy to have all of these emphases that are kind of part of christianity broadly that actually keep us from focusing on the person of Jesus because that is what ultimately all of this is about and and this is a question i have You know, for us, and this is the question that God's been asking me Do you really love Jesus? Like the person of Jesus? Do you see the glory and the majesty and the beauty and the wisdom of the person of Jesus and you you love him and you want to be with him? See, that's the thing. We don't just learn about him, but we are invited to abide or to remain with him. And so he offers us, as we think about our time in the scriptures, our time in prayer, it is really about intimacy with Jesus, being with Jesus, that he's always available to us. And, and so we have to act like, is that a desire that we have? Because that's, that's where the spirit leads us. Is, is to see the person of Jesus, to shape our lives around the person of Jesus, to desire to be with him, to be like him. And, and so that's, in many ways, that's my hope, that, that as we see the greatness of Jesus through even these passages, that we would just fall in love with him completely and, and just want to be with him. Now, when that happens... As it did with these disciples, when they saw, they came and see, as Jesus invited them, they came and they stayed with him, they remained with him. They saw the wonder and the glory of who he was, and they saw that he really was the light, right? And so what did they do because of that? You see this pattern where they are going to tell other people to come and to see they are inviting other people to come and to be with Jesus. Andrew finds his brother Simon, and he brought Simon to Jesus to come and see, to be with him. Philip found Nathanael. And Nathanael says, You know, from, how, how, how can these words you're saying be true? Can anything good come from Watertown? I'm sorry, Nazareth? Right, like, like, how can this hick, no-name village produce anything of significance? And does does uh, Philip enter into this debate about Jesus, or does he present all of these doctrinal uh, presentations? What does he say? <laughs> Come and see. Right. He uses the words of Jesus. He he says this isn't this isn't something that's going to be accomplished through debate or doctrinal presentation. You just got to see Jesus. And that's the case. Like so many of us, we we know this. I can't uh, I cannot convince or argue anybody to see the greatness and the glory of Jesus and to want to come and follow him. Right? You just have to see him. You, You have to to be overwhelmed with who he is in order to come and follow him. But that's exactly what they're doing. They're inviting their friends, their family members to come and see Jesus. And when you see him for for who he truly is, that he really is the son of God. He really is not only the king of Israel, but the king of the universe. Then the natural response is, I want to leave everything and follow you. I just want you. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to live with you. I want to live the way you call me. To live, I want to do what you call me to do, and and this is what they do. The disciples, they give up their teacher of John the Baptist. They, in in uh, in in Simon's case, he gives up his name. Right? Jesus renames him Rocky uh, or Peter. They give up all that's familiar to them, and they come to be with Jesus to follow him. He completely reshapes their story. And that's exactly what it means for us today as well. To follow Jesus is to, to give up everything, to follow him, to allow him to reshape our story completely. Secondly, or thirdly, we see that Jesus reframes Israel's story. So Nathaniel comes to see Jesus. And we read in verse 47, then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in who there is no deceit. Now, these words are, in, in, a, in a Jewish mind, very familiar. Because the first Israelite, the first Israel was originally named what? Jacob. And Jacob's name and his story are tied with What? Deceiving, right? In fact, when you go back to the story where Jacob deceived his brother Esau and his father Isaac, and he stole the birthright, Isaac's words are to Esau: "Are your brother Yaakov Yaakov'd you?" <laughs> right? And and this is what he did. This is so tight that he is a, he's deceiving. He's deceptive, and it's so intertwined with. With his story, and yet now Jesus is saying to Nathaniel that here is is an Israelite that there's no Yaakov, there's no deceit, right? All of that has been removed, and 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 now there is one who who says the truth, who speaks the truth, who is not seeking to deceive. And we find this that that through the story of Israel, so Jacob has his name changed to Israel but the result of this is because he comes to see God for who tr- who he truly is and when he sees God for who he truly is he stops deceiving everything changes right and nathaniel is coming to see Jesus for who he truly is you see he was introduced to nathaniel by the title Jesus the son of joseph from Nazareth was that from Nazareth was that title the fullness of Jesus identity was he the son of Joseph from Nazareth was that the fullness of what he was no and what does nathaniel say who does nathaniel th- say that he actually is the son of god the king of israel Right, He sees the truth of who Jesus is. He sees the reality and the greatness and the glory of his identity. And, and there is through this, this invitation in verse 51, uh, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now what is this example, what is this image from? Well, Jacob whose name was changed to Israel, was fleeing from his brother Esau. He had tricked him, he had stolen his birthright, and he was on the run so his brother wouldn't kill him. And in the midst of this narrative in Genesis 28, we see that Jacob has this dream, and God gives him a vision. What is the vision of? This ladder, right? Jacob's ladder, as you've heard of it. And there is this ladder that he sees, and the bottom of the ladder is on the earth, human space. And the top of the ladder goes where? Into heaven, God's space. And there are these angels that are going up and down this ladder. And as a result of this, we read in Genesis twenty-eight seventeen, he was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than... Then the house of God, this is the gate of heaven. Now, Jesus says that the ladder that is this gate of heaven, this, this house of God, this connection between heaven and earth, God's space and human space, does Jesus say that, that he has come to bring this ladder? No, what does he say? What are the angels ascending and descending on? Him, the Son of Man. He is this ladder. He is this one that connects heaven and earth. And, and what is, is fascinating about this. So, so in the beginning, we looked at Genesis. This was God's plan in Eden. Is that heaven and earth would overlap. That God's space and humanity's space would, would be completely overlapping. And his presence would be here. And what happens to that reality? Sin, right? When humanity rebels against God, there is this separation between the the, the holiness of God and his presence, his place, and the sinfulness of humanity and, and their place. And so this separation happens. And yet, God does, through this story, um, with Jacob, he ends up the place where Jacob was or Israel was when this dream uh, unfolds, and he sees this. Re- God really was here. This really is the gate of heaven. What does that place become? A city. It's Jerusalem, right? And in Jerusalem, there was a place that was the overlap of heaven and earth. What was that place? The temple. Right? That was it. So heaven and earth overlapped exclusively at the temple. And yet, even though there was this place where the the presence of God, heaven and, and, and earth, humanity space overlapped, was the, the the essence of that place available for people? No, it was separated, it was it was there was this curtain. That separated the place where the presence of God dwelt from where people could go. And, and only a high priest once a year can enter into this holy of holies. And so was the presence of God truly overlapping the space of people in a way that they could experience it? No, right? Right? Because of their sinfulness. And this is what Jesus comes to do. This is the fulfillment of Jesus being this ladder between heaven and earth. Because Jesus is lifted up from the earth, He does occupy this space between heaven and earth. And what is it that He is on when He is in that space? The cross. And when He is on the cross, Dying, bearing the weight of our sin. He he fulfills John's words, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. What happens when he dies on the cross to the curtain in the temple? It is torn in two, and this separation that exists between heaven and earth, between God and humanity, because of sin, is removed. And now, the presence of God, the Spirit of God, can be accessed by people. And this is what Jesus is bringing about. When we looked at John chapter 1, verse 14, we read, The Word became flesh and dwelt, which is, which is actually tabernacled among us, referring to the tabernacle, this, this original place where the presence of God overlapped with the place of humanity. In, in John 2, this theme, John is going to unpack this theme of Jesus being the true temple consistently. In, in chapter 2, we're going to see that Jesus talks about the temple of his body. That his body is the fulfillment of this temple. And there is going to be this progression where Jesus, within his own body is this full temple, this place where heaven and earth overlap, where, where humanity and divinity uh, exist together. He is going to invite his followers to, and, and, and there's so much to all this, but to become that temple. Those who believe in him, right? As John says, so those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah who have life in his name are called to become this temple. That we become temple. Your body is a temple of what? The Holy Spirit. And so just as Jesus was this expression of of God's nature, this overlap of heaven and earth, our lives and us collectively together are to become this overlap of heaven and earth, this place where God works by his spirit to, to bring about his purposes, to allow the light. So Jesus is the light of the world, right? This, this whole theme of these portraits of light. But what does he say? He, he is the light of the world, but then he says that his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. So we are now called to be this expression of light where God works through us by his spirit. And this is where we see fourth and finally that Jesus reframes our story. Jesus reframes our story, where our story is now brought into his. Where we are brought into him, and he comes into us. (laughs) This idea of abiding, of remaining in him. And, and what that means is the fullness of who he is, the fullness of what he does overlaps us. When a person is baptized, when they go into the water, they are experiencing this reality that, that you, the old person who you were, dies and is buried and is immersed in the story of Jesus. That you, when, when Jesus died on the cross, To pay for sins. You were dying on the cross there. And because of that, the payment for your sin was made in full. You, when you believe in Jesus, are forgiven of all of your sin. And the old person, that sinful person that lived for yourself, right, that just followed your desires of the flesh and appetites, that person was buried. When Jesus was buried, you were buried with him. And that old person was buried and is dead and gone, right? And, and when Jesus was raised from the dead and walked out of the tomb, you walked out with him, but a new version of you, right? A new creation in Christ. The old things have gone away. New things have come. You are this new creation where Jesus now lives in you. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ living in me, living through me by his spirit. And this is your story now, <laughs> Right, And your story now fits up and our stories collectively fit up in this. And we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded that we don't reframe Jesus to fit our story, but we constantly are reframing our story and our lives and our days into this greater story of Jesus. And this is where Jesus gives us a way to to remember and to even experience this in a physical way. In John 6, 55 through 56, he says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, what? Remains, abides, minnow in me and I in him. And this is what we are invited into, that there's a unique way in which Jesus works as we eat the bread, the body of Christ broken for us, and as we drink the cup, the blood of Christ shed for us, that we experience as these elements come into our body and at some level you could say become part of us, right? When you eat and drink, what you eat and drink becomes part of you comes in you that's a physical experience of what spiritually happens where Christ gives himself to us and and there is within this a call for purification right when you know when you consider the temple there were all of these purity requirements and there was a purification that happened when blood was sprinkled, was, was placed in the temple that brought about this purification. And so there's this purifying. So as we take the bread and so we drink the cup, there's to be this purifying, right? Of, of Jesus purifying us of our sin. And so, so we ask, where, where do we need to repent? Where do we need to turn away from sin? Right, to be purified in this way. And ultimately, where do we need to receive and experience the forgiveness of sin? So the question, the first question that I want us to consider as we prepare for the supper is what do you need to release to God? What is it that Jesus has purchased your freedom from on the cross with his blood that you are holding on to? Is it patterns of sin or the power of sin? Is it unforgiveness towards others? bitterness? Is it guilt and and shame that you're holding on to that Jesus took from you at the cross that you need to release to him? The second question is, what do you need to receive from God? So Jesus gives you himself. He gives you the fullness of who he is. He gives you his spirit to come live within you, that everything that you need for life and godliness is yours in Christ. And so what is it that you are, to go back to John's words, What are you searching for? What are you seeking after? What are you feeding on that is not Christ, that you're depending on, that you need to to turn away from instead to receive the fullness of life, the fullness of provision, the fullness of joy from Jesus and him alone? What do you need to release to God? What do you need to receive from God? I invite us just to ask the Spirit to lead us As we consider these questions and go to the Lord in prayer, preparing to take the supper in just a moment. supper to prepare the elements and the bread. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks and broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for you. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for you. And he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember that Jesus died. Jesus lived for us. He died for us. He rose for us and he's coming back. He's going to return for us. And so that's what we proclaim. I'd invite you to stand with me now. As we confess the truth of the gospel out loud, I invite you to read this along with me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. If there's anything you need prayer for, need to talk about, I'd invite you to come to the prayer room now as we respond and so on. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.